1: And podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TICFM, and Light 100.5 WRCH Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we're pleased to be joined by Joe DeLong. He is executive director and CEO of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Good morning to you, sir.
0: Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, the legislative session is underway now in Connecticut for 2021. It's going to be different, done virtually, at least to, to start the session. What is on CCM's legislative agenda?
0: You know, it's funny you started off by saying it's going to be different. I feel like that's uh, a line that we could have used on just about everything over the past uh, almost 12 months now. Everything's different. But, you know, for, for our agenda, obviously, there are a, a lot of things and I'm happy to get into all of those because as an organization, it represents communities, uh, towns and cities and in in those communities uh, in all aspects we have to get into a variety of issues that impact our communities. But I think one of the things that we as an organization are really going to try to focus on this year is getting people to have honest conversations, to be truly honest about not only Connecticut's um, challenges, but also Connecticut's opportunities. And I think a lot of times if we don't wanna face a challenge, we're not always completely honest about that at challenge or how it exists um or what needs to be done about it and so you know from from our standpoint in order to have a truly successful session that helps us recover from the pandemic and puts us in a position to be um, an economic power going forward because let's remember if we talk about recovery The state of Connecticut economically was not doing all that well um, prior to the pandemic. It really has not come out of the last recession um, and created jobs at the pace that we have seen in the rest of the country. So, you know, we want to do more than just recover. We want to understand our core structural challenges and what opportunities exist to truly address those challenges.
1: So what issues in particular are you talking about when you say we need to have more frank discussions among cities and towns and policymakers?
0: Well, you know, let's start with the, the one lingering thing that maybe gets talked about a little ancillarily every year, but nothing really gets done about it. And that is the state of Connecticut, uh, as we sit and talk here today, has roughly a $60 billion unfunded pension and OPEB liability at the state and municipal level a 60 billion dollars. Um, if we were to appropriately address that unfunded liability, it would take either cuts or new revenues in the term of about 6 billion dollars a year over the next 15 years, you know, to address that challenge. But that challenge has to be addressed. It, there has to be well it's not easy, there has to be a focus on that because that that um looming black cloud over the state, if you will, is really what is in the way of doing so many other good things that policymakers and all residents of the state of Connecticut would like to see happening. You know, we we don't fully fund education in this state from a state level. I'm sure policymakers would if it wasn't for that $60 billion unfunded liability. We don't fully fund pilot to our cities, which create really unsustainable property taxes throughout the state. Another issue that could be resolved if we dealt with that core structural problem. You know, we have just a variety of challenges, but also a variety of opportunities that exist that get pushed aside or put off to another year because we're not willing to address the one major core structural issue that looms over the state. And so I think what you're going to see out of our organization is we're going to to put forth some proposals that maybe people will like, maybe people won't like. But they'll at least be honest and they'll, uh, they'll identify the challenges that Connecticut is facing honestly in an honest way. And we'll say to policymakers, residents, businesses, whoever it is, you don't have to like our solutions. It's okay if you don't healthy debate is just that, it's healthy, but let's at least be honest about what the challenges are so we can hear other people's ideas of how to address those things and not just put them off to another generation and another generation, because we're never fully going to recover from anything, a pandemic or anything else, if we don't address that issue.
1: What sort of things might be on the table? Are you talking about things such as collective bargaining changes and potential givebacks?
0: i i think that you know this is going to sound like such a high level answer but i think right now what we're looking at is that everything has to be on the table you have you have certain groups out there that will say and i'm not going to name the groups but it's it's philosophies you know you have a certain philosophy that everything has to be a give back everything has to be a cut everything has to be some level of of austerity um the reality is you can't you can't cut six billion dollars out of people's pensions. first of all, you will you will have another impact on retirees, seniors, a whole group of people that you better be prepared to foot a, a much larger bill in terms of critical services that they're going to need and everything else if you not to mention the fact that it's a property right. but you can't solve that issue just out of the backs of labor. You can't solve it just through collective bargaining reform. Um, even if you could, it probably wouldn't be fair. Uh, certainly wouldn't be fair, but but mathematically it can't be done. And then you have a whole other camp that says all we need to do is tax the rich more. You know, Connecticut's challenges could all be fixed through progressive taxation. Well, the reality is with where the math stacks up, progressive taxation does not solve this challenge either. So the first thing we have to do is we have to get out of our camps. We have to get out of our, am I a conservative? Am I a progressive? Am I pro-labor? Am I pro-business? We have to get out of that mindset and just focus on the math and say, how do we do this collectively? How do we create a grand bargain, which is probably, to be honest, if you're ever going to fix this problem, is going to be some combination of all of those things. It's going to require a newly dedicated revenue stream. It's going to require reforms to those pensions and those benefits, particularly in regard maybe to some COLA reforms for the earlier tier pensions, where in many cases, the the, the COLAs are not only outpacing uh, inflation to some degree in some cases, but they're also outpacing, significantly outpacing the fund performance, which puts that makes the hole, digs the hole even deeper. So I think that's one of the things, I'm not saying that's going to be solved this session, but if we could have an actual honest discussion about the problem, instead of trying to hide the problem, and it's not an honest discussion to say that you can fix it through taxes alone. It's not an honest discussion to say that you can fix it through cuts alone. An honest discussion is recognizing the math and what we all have to do together to address that math. If we could get to that point, then I think that we've made a really positive step in the right direction of Connecticut's future. One of the
1: issues that cities and towns and state leaders found common ground on after years of working on it was the idea of extending workers' compensation benefits to certain first responders with PTSD. Can that pathway to an agreement be used as a model for what you're talking about here?
0: There's no question about it that it can. To kind of give you a little of the, the recent history on that legislation, we went back a few years, CCM, uh, the organization I represent, opposed legislation, not on its merits or on its concept, but the way that it was written, the, the impact that it was going to have on cost of local budgets and the taxpayers. Ultimately, the bill died. We went to one of the bill's proponents at that time and said, why don't you lead a working group to bring everybody together and let's see if we can, we're willing to come to that table, let's see if we can come to a compromise and work this out. There was one meeting of that working group, and when everything wasn't resolved, um, that particular member of the General Assembly essentially said, I don't have time for this. And so the following year, there was another bill introduced, the bill once again died. We went through the same process with a different legislator, a different legislative proponent, and really had the same outcome. And so what happened after, after doing that two years in a row and then and, and then fighting, you know, really ill-conceived legislation following it, it was really Mayor O'Leary of Waterbury, um, as well as uh, Pete Carrozza of the Firefighters Association, who were friends, who both had an interest in this, who said, you know what, instead of waiting for somebody else to lead the discussion, let's put together the working group ourselves and we'll lead it. And you know, there were there were some really hard conversations. These discussions went on uh, for months, not just a month or a few weeks. They went on for months through the interim period between sessions. And as we got closer to that legislative session where we got the bill passed, we were meeting every week. But what happened is, not only did we resolve the issue in a way that worked for everybody, but we also became closer and realized that, you know, that people who maybe were perceived as enemies before because they were on opposite sides of the issue all wanted the same thing. And once they worked together, they were able to collaboratively get there. And so I think it was a great model. I think that bill is is something that both the communities across the state as well as organized labor um are proud of and think that it's it's something that's going to work for years to come but it's also a process that shows what we can do if we come to the table and work together
1: every year we hear from cities and towns that there are unfunded mandates imposed by the state that prevent them from finding efficiencies to keep the line on property taxes and really control local budgets give us some concrete examples of of some unfunded mandates that CCM would would like to see curtailed.
0: Yeah, you know that's that's a that's a question that gets asked every single year. And the one thing we always have to to remind folks of is, from a mandate standpoint, it's not always this one giant thing you can put your arms around. It it is that uh, proverbial death by a thousand cuts, if you will. But one of the big ones that we've focused on for years that I think we're making progress on, and I think we're making progress on it again because of the collaboration of working on the issue, is this idea of having to collectively bargain the same job with multiple collective bargaining units. That really hinders our ability to do shared services, to find efficiencies, because in a lot of cases, you have uh, the the business or the management side of local government wanting to do something, and the labor side agreeing to doing it. But labor, because you're not bargaining with one bargaining unit, you have to now, to consolidate that service, you have to bargain with two or three or four or five different bargaining units. You can't come to one single solution because all of those bargaining units are bargaining from a different position. And, you know, it's my understanding that happened years ago in the city of Hartford, where the city of Hartford, not even a a regional service from one town to another, but within the city of Hartford, there was an effort to consolidate Hartford's information technology services between the city and the Board of Education, and everybody was in agreement with it. Both, both the the city, the Board of Ed, uh, its representatives, as well as the union representatives that represent, you know, that that represented those workers in those fields. But when it came time to complete that consolidation, you had people who were going to be doing the the same job, who were being represented by different bargaining units and those bargaining units weren't bargaining from the same position. So it made it impossible uh, to get to a conclusion and to make that consolidation fully take place. And so what we've, we've argued for years and have been discussing with the labor unions, and I'm not going to speak for them, but had very positive discussions that if we're going to collectively bargain for these things, then it should be done as a coalition. You should have the management speaking from one voice, and you should have labor bargaining from one single voice. And and the benefit from the management standpoint is you can actually get to a conclusion and make things happen. And part of the benefit to labor is really reducing their cost and and their time of not having to be involved in bargaining the same issue over and over and over again, and going to arbitration on the same issue over and over and over again, and and monopolizing their resources in that way. That if they can get together together and bargain from one voice and communities can get together and bargain from one voice that everybody's better off and we can actually make things move forward that is legislation that we have proposed since you know at least 2016 that I'm aware of that that every year seems to get a little bit of support, seems to get a little further movement, but doesn't make it to the finish line. And and our hope is is that this may be the year that it can make it to the finish line.
1: You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Joe DeLong. He is executive director and CEO of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. One issue that arose last year, but really was, was cut short because of the pandemic, was the idea of reforming Zoning laws in some communities to allow for more housing options. One group behind it was desegregate CT. And I think some folks were kind of surprised to see CCM at one of their press conferences and asking for a seat at the table. Can you explain how that unfolded?
0: I would equate that to what we talked about earlier with the uh, with the mental health um, benefits for police and firefighters. Something that we're perceived as maybe maybe fighting or thinking should just be a, a local control issue, when when really, the reality is if we're at the table and we can work through these issues and through these challenges, I believe that the overwhelming majority of our members, you know, want to have fair and equitable housing. And frankly, as we try to recover or work to recover from the pandemic, one of the things that I think any economist will tell you, the fastest way to recovery is to making sure that everybody is able to participate in benefit within the economy. And if we create a segregated system where some people can participate and benefit and others cannot, that doesn't help us recover uh, at all from the pandemic either. So, you know, our belief is, and I think I said this at the press conference, and and I and I, fir- I meant it then and I firmly mean it now. There are too many times that we start conversations from a position of no. And I'm not saying that our organization is collectively on board with everything that desegregate CT is putting out there. But what I am saying is that we need to have those negotiations or those discussions, not from the position of no, but from the idea of how to get to yes. And I think the first way that you focus on how to get to yes is do you agree with the end goal? Do you agree that we should have affordability in our communities, that we should have inclusion in our, com- in our communities, and that everybody should have the opportunity uh, to participate in our economy going forward? And I think that's a resounding yes for our organization. So sharing that goal, um, I don't see why there's any reason that we cannot come to the table and find solutions uh, to some of those issues. One of the, the big challenges that exist in Connecticut and in some of our communities is, you know, issues of water and sewer. And what is the capacity? Uh, you know, can can they build uh, multifamily units uh, in an area where the sewer capacity, or maybe there's wetlands, you know, there's a variety of issues like that. And those are very real issues and very real challenges. But we shouldn't put those up as a poster child, as an excuse to do nothing. We need to look at those issues and figure out where they fit in the big scheme of things, and how we address them individually within those communities where they do exist, not not use them as the see here's the reason why we can't do this. So so yeah, we're we're at the table. We have a group of not only elected officials within our organization, you know, mayors, first selectmen, as well some town managers, but we also have you know some zoning officials and others that are part of a working group that are that are meeting. Just about every two weeks or so to individually go through the desegregate CT proposals and either endorse the ones that they can wholeheartedly support or offer modifications to the ones that they have concerns with, as opposed to just um, standing up and saying, no, we're going to fight this. Just let the decision be made locally, because we know that it's more complex than that.
1: You mentioned the pandemic. How are cities and towns and their budgets faring?
0: I mean, I don't want to downplay that It's a struggle. There's no question about it that it's a struggle. Uh, but our towns and cities are going to be okay. You know, we're going to come out of the other side of the pandemic. We're still going to offer the services that we have to off, need to offer. We're still going to be able to serve our communities. When I meet with our municipal leaders about the pandemic, overwhelmingly, well, well, issues of budgetary, you know, budgetary issues, the the different fiscal challenges, you know those things are part of the conversation. Overwhelmingly, the the conversation surrounds how do we protect our communities, how do we protect the people in our communities, and how do we, you know, help protect our businesses and others that we need as we come out of this pandemic to keep ourselves vibrant, uh, and and a you know a, a great place to live and work and raise a family, and you know that to me that says a lot about municipal leaders across the state that they're not out there, you know crying the blues about how horrible this is on them. They're out there focused on the people that they serve and what needs to, do to be done to, to uplift these communities and to come out of the pandemic on the other side. So, you know, in, in the big scheme of things, there are people out there who are hurting, really hurting. And those people need to be the focus. Our cities and towns, yeah, they're struggling, but you know what? They're going to be okay. Their focus needs to be on the people who are really feeling the impact directly in their own lives.
1: With that said, is there hope for more funding for local governments with the incoming administration in Washington?
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, you know, there there was definitely a, a commitment already by the by the House, um, by Connecticut's representative, particularly now Rosa DeLauro being the approach chair. There was there have been a commitment and a bill passed, the Heroes Act, that would have provided a lot of direct funding to towns and cities. One of the things that happened with the original CARES Act is the funding went through the state, uh, and the state got to determine how to divide it up. And through the National League of Cities and other groups, we've advocated that you know the next package, that there be funding that may have to pass through the state but is dedicated directly to our towns and cities, um, not at the discretion of the state or the desire to maybe spend it someplace else. We think that, you know, that legislation passed that way coming out of of the the House and went over to the Senate. And really, you know, from my perspective, and I, you know, I don't think it's as partisan of an issue as a lot of people thought that it was. I I dealt with a lot of Republican senators who supported um, doing those things to uplift our economy. And and frankly, the White House uh, at times indicated that they would sign a package that did that as well. It was really Senator McConnell in his uh, position, um, you know, as as the uh, as the majority leader of the Senate, blocked any attempt to do that. Um, Senator McConnell, I think, single handedly, um, you know, for better or for worse, took away that discussion, took away that debate and just decided it's not going to happen on my watch. Uh, Now, with the election results in Georgia changing things. I don't know it's necessarily as much about the change of administration in terms of the White House as it is the change of the balance of power in the Senate. I believe that that, um, that issue, that that single issue, is going to see a, a little more daylight, a little more discussion. And ultimately, I think our, our Connecticut towns and cities are going to see some direct funding come out of D.C. because of it.
1: In our last minute or so, working with local governments the way you do – Have you found that that D or R next to an elected official's name might mean less at the local level than it does for a national politician?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I wish we had more than a minute to talk about it, because I will tell you, in 2015, when I started here, that answer was a resounding yes. No question about it. What what has happened over the course of the last several years is the partisan gridlock and vile nature of what happens at times in Washington, D.C., worked its way down to our statehouse. We saw that gridlock happen in the state house, the unwillingness to compromise. That led uh, to us getting it when there was an 18-18 tie in the Senate, that led to us not getting a state budget passed until Halloween. That same mentality. I started to see a little bit of that mentality creep down into local governments as well. But I really believe that what happened uh, this past Wednesday in Washington, D.C., Really opened a lot of people's eyes, and and made even some of our members take a step back and say, "Wow, we don't want to be any part of this. This is not who we are." And so, you know, as horrible as those events were, maybe some of that vile nature that happens and has and been happening in Washington over the last several years that was starting to trickle down a little bit into our municipal governments. I think those events last Wednesday brought our people back a little bit to saying. This is America. We're all serving the same people. We're all in it together, and we need to focus on what unites us and not what divides us. He
1: is Joe DeLong, Executive Director and CEO of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Thanks so much for joining us this morning.
0: Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Face
1: Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.